0: I want to welcome you. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be together, not only as we worship our risen Savior, but to be able to witness the beautiful sacrament of baptism and to also have Angela join our church. It's such a beautiful thing to be able to be reminded that we belong to Him and that He delights in us. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, uh, it's a beautiful reminder that there's no condemnation for those are in Christ and so with that said I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10 Acts chapter 10 and we're going to be looking at verses 24 through 48 if you don't have a Bible we do have Bibles provided for you underneath the chair in front of you and there you could turn to page 919 919 of the church Bibles and you'll be able to follow along uh, with us this morning If you're new or if you've been with us for a while, uh, we've been in the book of Acts looking at the story of the church. Now, so far through these past nine chapters, what we've seen is the growth of the church. Begin with 120 folks praying and the Holy Spirit coming upon them and growing to tens of thousands of people. But there was a shift, right? If you remember, there was a shift and a turning point in the story of the church in chapter 7. There was the martyrdom of Stephen, right? He was stoned, and being stoned and put to death, what do we see happen to the Christians? The Christians scattered to, to Samaria and to Judea. And just like Jesus foretold, before he ascended to heaven, he said, You will be my witnesses where? To Judea to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so where Jerusalem was the hub of Christianity and its birthplace of growth, what do we see happen? It spreads to other places, to other localities. And we begin to see individual accounts of conversions happen after chapter 7. We saw the Ethiopian eunuch come to faith as he was just reading the scriptures. And Philip tells him about Jesus. Then two weeks ago, we saw who come to faith? Paul or Saul, who was adamant that Christianity was blasphemous against God. And so what does he do? He goes out killing Christians. And Jesus meets him on the Damascus Road, and he becomes a follower of Jesus. Well, this morning, we have another individual account of Christianity growing through this person named Cornelius. And so what I want us to do is to be able to see how Cornelius is just another story of God continuing to bring about growth, and what can we learn from him. So with that said, let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we come before you and we ask that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, as we look at the the birth of Christianity and the story of the church continuing to grow, and to even for us as Gentile people who are not Jewish, to be able to receive the word and to become a part of the family of God. We know the gospel had to take on many challenges and do many different things to come to where we are here in the middle of St. Louis. So Lord, I pray that you would encourage our hearts, that you would challenge us, and that Lord, through your word, we would become a little more like you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at the story this morning, I thought about two Unlikely people becoming good friends. There was a story a few years ago, Steve Hartman on the road, if you've ever seen his little five-minute segments on CBS, he shared about two unlikely people that became best of friends. Their names were Nora Wood and Dan Peterson. Now, Dan Peterson was 82 years old, and he became a widower for the last past six months. And during that time, he fell into a dark depression. Because he was all alone, he would just stare out the window and just wait to die. And one of the worst things he hated, one of the things he hated to do was go grocery shopping because it reminded him of having to shop for himself and being reminded of how his wife had passed away. But nonetheless, he would go shopping. And on this one day where the, the grocery store at Publix caught This whole interaction he was going down the canned goods aisle and as he was doing that a mom and this four-year-old girl named Nora Woods was just passing on by and as they were passing by by Dan Peterson this four-year-old girl says hi old person it's my birthday and the mom just being shook stopped wanting to apologize Nora was, demanded a hug from Dan. And Dan said, absolutely. And after they hugged, Nora told her mom, take a picture with me and Dan. And she took that picture. And what you would think would be just this one chance encounter where this little four-year-old girl in that moment would kind of love it but then forget about it became this deep, intimate relationship between an 82-year-old man and a four-year-old girl. They met every single week. She would visit. He would come over for Thanksgiving, and they would always begin their time together with a hug, and she would leave with a hug. There was one night where her mom, Nora's mom, after taking that picture, she had framed it and hung it on their wall, but one night when she came in to check on her daughter sleeping, she was holding that frame picture while she was asleep in her bed. Their relationship and friendship continued to grow so much that they even, the day before Dan died, the family got together with Dan and they took one last picture with Nora, her younger daughter, and Dan together in his living room. And the next day, he had passed away. And this story just goes to show you how two unlikely people became such good, close friends. Here in this story this morning, we have two very unlikely people who not only become friends, but they become part of the family of God. There's a centurion, a Roman centurion named Cornelius and Peter, a Jewish Christian, a disciple of Jesus. And through this encounter, they become part of the family of God who are very unlike one another, right? Think about a Roman centurion. Their job was to rule and govern over Jerusalem and Israel to keep order. And how would they keep order? It, was, it, would, through, it would be through the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome through subjugation through torture, through humiliation, and through death. And who was Peter? He was one that would be subjugated to Rome's rule and peace by death and by torture and by power. And yet because of the gospel, these two brothers in Christ become close. And what I want us to do is look at this story through these two men and see what can we learn about each of them as they come encountering one another. Now before I begin to read this passage, there needs to be a little bit of context here. Because right before we read verse 24, what happens in verses 1 through 23 is that Cornelius, this Roman centurion, he gets this vision. And it's a vision of an angel who calls his name and says, Cornelius. And Cornelius says, yes, yes, Lord. And, and the, the angel says, Cornelius, I want you to send your men to find Peter. And he's going to be in Joppa at this tanner's house named Simon. Now you have to understand something about this Roman centurion named Cornelius. Cornelius. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 10, this is how he's described as a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. So here he wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a Christian. He was a Roman centurion, but also had some kind of some kind of spirituality where he feared God and would pray and was generous in his givings to other people. But as Cornelius listens and sends his men off to Joppa to find Peter, Peter has a dream as well. And what's his dream? Imagine a sheet. And this sheet lowers to where Peter is. And there is clean and unclean animals, birds and reptiles. And God tells Peter, eat this food. But Peter, thinking this is a test, says, no way. I can't eat things that are unclean. That goes against our faith and our religion. And this is what God tells him. God says, or God doesn't say anything at that point. God does that three, two more times. So three times he gets this vision. And Peter says, never, Lord. I've never eaten anything unclean. I have not yet defined myself in that way, and I will not. And the Lord says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. In other words, for the Jewish people, They were never to eat unclean things because this was a way to be able to be faithful to the Lord. But what happened was that they took these things that God gave them, these rules and regulations in the Old Testament, and used it to puff themselves up and make themselves feel better. Let me give you an example since we have kids here, right? This is maybe the best way I could think about clean and unclean. You don't want to hang out with that group of people, right? Because they're unclean, quote unquote unclean. They're not cool. They're they're losers. They're weird. I don't like them. So I'm gonna hang out with this group because they're cool. Why? Because that makes me feel better about myself. This is what was happening or this were the rules and regulations in the Old Testament. And God tells Peter, do not call unclean what I have made clean. Now Peter is super confused. But God says, hey, there's three men coming they're going to come and get you. You're supposed to go with them back and meet this man, Cornelius. And that's where we read verse 24. Got it? Follow with me? All right, let's read verse 24 through 33, and then we want to pause for a moment. And on the following day, they, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and had called together his relatives and close friends. So he's gathering all these people together to welcome Peter. When Peter entered I asked then, Why have you sent for me? And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Now, stop there for a moment. Now, what's going on? Peter enters the house, and Peter tells Cornelius everything that he's learned about what God has taught him, that you should not call things unclean because God is the one who makes things clean. And Cornelius wants to know what he has to preach. Now here's what I want us to get from this part of this story. For us as followers of Jesus, who are called to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to others, we first need to be confronted with the gospel story. Have you been challenged Have you been confronted with the truths of the gospel that go against the way that you live? The ways that you think? The way that you think of your work, sexuality, the physical world, relationships, love? Are we continuing to learn about the gospel and is it challenging us? Or do we just say, well, the gospel is the good news of Jesus. I believe he died for me and I'm forgiven and... I just live my life. Because for Peter, he was absolutely challenged and confronted with the good news of the gospel in a way that he had never thought about it before. He thought Gentiles were unclean. That for a Gentile to become a Christian, they needed to convert to Judaism before they could become a Christian. And for the first time in his life, he has to wrestle with the fact that Gentiles are not unclean because God has called them clean and for us for the gospel to continue to work in our lives we first have to wrestle with it day in and day out this is what Tim Keller says about the gospel story the gospel is not just the ABC but the A2Z of the Christian life the gospel is not just the way to enter the kingdom but is the way to address every problem and is the way to grow at every step. Therefore, the gospel changes everything. It brings down racial barriers by melting away racial pride or inferiority. It brings down psychological problems by melting away self-inflation or self-hatred. It brings down personal facades for we are free to admit who we are. It affects the way we do everything, how we motivate people, how we help them work through counseling problems, how we worship, how we take criticism. Are we growing? Are we being challenged? Are we being confronted with the gospel truths that challenge our way of life? Or have we become complacent? And we just think the gospel is just the ABCs rather than the A through Z? If we truly believe that the gospel is the most beautiful, compelling, transformational story there is in our world, then it will be true of us as well when we humbly allow the gospel to work in our hearts. Then and only then will will we be able to see others' lives change as well. It begins first with us. When we think about loved ones, friends, neighbors, family members who yet to have Who follow Jesus. It begins in our hearts first. We need to continue to be transformed, allow the gospel to speak and challenge our hearts before we could see others change and be transformed by the gospel as well. And we see that here with Peter. Now let's go on in the story because as Peter, as Cornelius and his friends and family are anticipating, waiting for Peter to share the gospel. Peter opens his mouth and verse 34, follow along with me through 43. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Why does he say that? He says that because he's learned, right? He's, con- he's been confronted with the gospel that there's nothing clean or unclean. God shows no partiality. Verse 35, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Christ Jesus, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. This is exactly what Cornelius needed to hear. The good news of what Jesus, who Jesus was and what he did for him. Now, who was Cornelius? Do you remember what I read about Cornelius in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 10? He was a devout man who feared God. He gave alms generously to all the people and he prayed continually to God. Now, Would you think this Cornelius is a follower of Jesus? I think many of us would be like, yeah, he sounds spiritual to me. He's praying to God, he's giving of his alms and generously to the people, and he fears God. But you see, here, what we have to be reminded of is that Christianity isn't just being a good person, it's not just going to church. It's not giving to organizations and donating of your finances and of your, of your goods. Being spiritual and good without Jesus does not save us. And Cornelius and his household had to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And for Cornelius, what does, what does he hear of the gospel? Remember, he's a Roman centurion. Power was important. Peace was important. And what Peter does is he bridges the gap using power and peace to bring about the good news of Jesus. Listen to this. In verse 36, he says, he is Lord of all, preaching good news of peace. Well, Cornelius only knew one kind of peace, right? It was through crucifixion, power, authority, subjugation, crucifixion. Well, what do we know about this Lord who has all this power and peace? Verse 38, he's anointed, God has anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how does he use his power in verse 39? To do good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. But what happens to this Jesus who puts on flesh and has all the power and authority? Verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Now, that would make absolutely no sense to Cornelius. Cornelius, God who has all the power and authority dies by the men that he's created. But verse 40, God raised him on the third day and made him to appear. And if you don't believe me, what does he say? There were many of us who ate and drank with him. You could go ask. There's eyewitness testimonies of those that saw Jesus resurrected. And in verse 30, verse 43, after giving the gospel story of Jesus, he says to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his, through his name. See, that's the kind of peace Cornelius and we all need. That through Jesus' death, his identification with our sin, our shame, our guilt, our condemnation, we are made whole and restored and experience the kind of peace that is different from what Cornelius knew of what peace was. Subjugation, torture, fear, crucifixion. But rather the peace that Jesus offered was one of love, was one of sacrifice, peace. That comes through mercy and grace. Wow. That's different. So different. And when Cornelius and all those that were with him heard of this, they realized it wasn't good enough to just be good and spiritual and nice. They needed Jesus. That if you profess faith in his name, you're forgiven. They needed to put their faith in the one who gave up his life for them, took upon their shame and sin and forgave them and brought them into the family of God and said that you are loved and cherished and delighted in. How about for us this morning? Have you put your faith in Christ? it's not enough to just come to church and be a good person. That is the scandal of the gospel. The scandal of the gospel is that it doesn't matter what you have done in your life, your past experiences, all your shame and trauma, even in thinking you might not be worthy of God's love. What we see here in the gospel is that if you place your faith in Him, you're reminded that even if you're a horrible person, it's not about you or what you think of yourself. It's about Jesus and what he has done for you, what he believes about you. You're made in his image. He wants you to bring he wants to bring you into the family of God. With all your faults and all your imperfections, all your shame and all your ugliness, all of your unworthiness, he wants to bring you into his family and call you loved, a daughter. A son. For everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. It's only by placing your faith in Christ you are a follower of Jesus. So, what happens as Peter is preaching this good news of Jesus and as Cornelius hears about this one? We'll read verse 44 to end of verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Here's what we see here. We can't ever forget the work of the Holy Spirit. The gospel that confronts us. The gospel that changes Cornelius' life. It is only by the work of the Holy Spirit. And what do we see about the Holy Spirit? Look, Peter is still preaching. And then what happens? while peter was still saying these things the holy spirit fell on that meaning the spirit is not dependent on any human involvement or any kind of human planning the spirit works with works however whenever with whomever and in any matter that he wishes that's a good reminder for me right that As Peter's sermon was probably done, the Holy Spirit's like, dude, Peter, your sermon was done like done like 10 minutes ago. I'm just gonna come down now and finish your sermon. I need to be reminded of that. That it's not just my words that I preach, but it's the Holy Spirit that works in our hearts to confront us, to challenge us, to change us forever. It's the it's it's the spirit that works. But the other thing we see about this is as the Spirit comes upon the Gentiles, all the Jewish Christians are are just shocked and amazed. And we need to be reminded that we should never be shocked or amazed at the work that God does through the Holy Spirit. Now, they're amazed because, like I said, they thought that Gentiles had to convert to Judaism. But for the first time in their life, they're seeing the Holy Spirit come and change them. This is like the Gentile Pentecost. Remember, we saw that in Acts 2 with the Jewish, the Jewish people becoming Christians with the Holy Spirit coming upon them. Well, this is happening for the Gentiles, and they're just perplexed and amazed. And this is confirmation and affirmation of what Peter was learning, that you cannot call Gentiles unclean. And God is pouring His Spirit upon them, and they are so amazed. But this gives us hope too, doesn't it? We should never be surprised when God works in the lives of those that we've been praying for. We shouldn't be surprised when we're finally put to death the sins that we've been wrestling with. We shouldn't be surprised when we finally are able to see someone of a different color, someone of a different socioeconomic status, and we're able to see them as image bearers. Through God's work in our hearts. We should never be surprised because this is what the Holy Spirit does. My mom prayed over 30 years for my, her parents, my grandparents, to come to know Christ. They grew up Buddhist their entire life. And it took my mom, after she converted in her 20s, over 30 years of prayer. And I, there were so many times that she would be like, Dan, are you praying for my parents? Dan, are you praying for your grandparents? So many times I would just give up hope. But when they came to follow Jesus, I was so surprised. But we're reminded here we should never be surprised. Should never catch us off, off guard. Because this is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. So as I close this morning, as we think about how the gospel brings these two unlikely people together, that confronts and challenges Peter, that that changes Cornelius' life and becomes a follower of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. This story came into my mind not that long ago, and it's these short stories by this pastor. And this short story is called, Please Sit in My Chair. I want this to be an encouragement for us. As we continue to live our lives together as followers of Christ, as we think about the story of the church, as we continue to long for people to come to know Jesus, this is a beautiful story of how we can see that happen in our lives as well. I'll just read this short story for us, and these are from the words of this pastor. She's 66 with special needs, dangerously overweight, twice a great grandmother, and regular at his church. She lives with four generations of extended family in an overcrowded, dilapidated house. But her buoyant spirit is undaunted. Since losing her youngest son in a senseless murder last Christmas Eve, she has redirected much of her affection to me. She wants to sit close beside me in every church service and the smell of her stale sweat and excrement is often nauseating. But she also makes me feel a little special. Her internal plumbing doesn't work as well as it used to. And she leaves tobacco smears when she kisses my cheek. She often hints, sometimes blatantly, that she she would like to come home with us for a visit. Nothing would delight her more than to have Sunday dinner with our family. But here is a conflict. It has to do with my values that my wife and I learned from childhood. We believe that good stewardship means taking care of our belongings treating them with respect and getting long service from them our boys know that they are not to track in mud on the carpet or sit on the furniture with dirty clothes to invite mrs smith into our home means we will have filth and stench soil our couch and stubborn offensive odors in our living room my greatest fear is that she will want to sit in my corduroy recliner unknowingly Mrs. Smith is forcing a conflict, a clashing of values upon me. Preserve and maintain, conserve and protect. They are the words of an ethic that has served us well. Over time, these values have subtly filtered into my theology. It is increasingly difficult to separate the values of capitalism from the values of the kingdom of God. Somewhere on the way to becoming rich, we picked up the idea that preserving our property is preferable to expending it for a people. Why should it be such a struggle to decide which is more godly, to welcome Mrs. Smith into my home and my corduroy recliner, or to preserve the homey aroma of my sanctuary and get extra years of service for my furniture? This is This not precisely the issue of serving mammon or God. How ingenious of our American version of Christianity to make them both one and the same. We did finally invite Mrs. Smith to have Sunday dinner in our home. And she did, just as I feared she would. She went straight for my corduroy recliner. And it never has been the same. In fact, Mrs. Smith even joined a Bible study in our home the next week. Every Wednesday evening, she headed right to my chair. She even referred to it, it as her chair. Brothers and sisters, I pray that the gospel will confront and challenge our lives and thus proclaim the beautiful story that is the gospel of Jesus. I pray that the Spirit would do that good work through our church as well. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, help us to be humble enough and, and open enough to be able to be confronted and challenged with the good news of the gospel. Lord, let us not be complacent, but Lord, as we are challenged and changed from the inside out, may we then be that beautiful aroma to be able to bring the good news of the gospel to others as Peter did for Cornelius. Lord, we can only do it by your spirit. So Lord, we ask that you would continue to do that. And even as we come to the table, strengthen us, nourish us for that good cause so we might be able to become more like you as we become more like you, we might see others become like you as well. Do that good work we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.